This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today we have a guest on our show named Mari Lee, and I had the privilege of, I, I've known of Mari, I think for a long time since I've been a CSAT, that's what, how I was first introduced to her, but last year, maybe about this time, probably starting, I think it was January or February, that I became part of one of your um, online coachings that you do for therapists. Um, yeah. You're like a boss group, and so I feel like I got to know you a little bit more than just kind of seeing your different posts or the great things that you're doing. And so we wanted to bring you on the show and talk to you and have our listeners get to know you because you've got some great things to offer. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Well, it's great to be here, Jackie. Always good to see your face and, and you as well, John. So, so happy to have this time with you today. And I absolutely love the topic that we're going to be jumping into. So happy yeah. to be support and hello to your listeners. Really glad to, to be meeting you in this space today. Thanks. Great. Yeah. And I would say before we dive into the topic, um, I'm really glad that Mari's here to um, talk about this topic of the gift and the wound with us. Um, Everything that Mari does is extremely supportive on every level. She does great mm -hmm. clinical work with clients of her own, but her real passion is um, supporting therapists in doing mm -hmm. good work with uh, their clients. So right. uh, she has a website, The Counselor Coach, um, thecounselorscoach.com, um, where you can find her, her blogs and her materials. But pretty much we've actually used a lot of Mari's mm -hmm. materials and a lot of Mari's help in establishing yes. our practice and in, in getting better at working with our, yeah. our clients. And it's well, and, and that reminds me before I did your like a boss group, I think I signed up for like a one day online, like disclosure process. And we've talked about disclosure in our um, podcast before, but you know, part of our learning how to facilitate at some disclosure that is oftentimes tricky. It's very painful. It's, there's a lot of things going on. And I learned that from you um, and, and kind of used your skills that I learned from you and, and even your forms that we bought from you mm -hmm. um, in order to help our clients through that painful disclosure process. So, Well, thank you hey. guys. I really appreciate the trust and I and I'm so glad to know because you're right, John, that really is my passion. I love working with my clinical clients and just for your listeners um, who, who may probably may know me best through my, the book that I co-authored with Stephanie and, and Tony, Facing Heartbreaks. Uh, so that's Facing Heartbreak, Steps to Healing for Partners of Sex Addicts. So I do work in the sex addiction field. I work with, with couples and individuals, men and women, both the partner and the addict, and I have for many, many years. I have a center here in Southern California, and I love that work and am passionate about it. But my other passion is supporting my colleagues, supporting therapists who are out in the world, who are really trying to do their best work to um, help hurting people heal. Mm -hmm. So, guys, you just put a big smile on my heart to know that the materials that I have on the counselor's coach, that my Like a Boss group, that, you know, any of these things that I do to support other therapists have been helpful to you because I just respect the great work both of you are doing. Mm -hmm. And that means an awful lot to me. So I'm very happy to be here to talk about um, 
The Gift and the Wound, which is, as you both know, the title of my next book coming out probably in end of 2018 or 2019, which is really to support individuals, couples, and partners who have gone through or are starting to go into um, their early work in sex addiction recovery or porn addiction recovery. And either it's a, a discovery, you know, we can mm -hmm. use just the traditional couple. I work with a diverse group of people, as you both do. So, you know, uh, gay, straight couples, gay, straight women and men, um, transgender, you name it. So for me, I'll just use that traditional couple and she, you know, finds out that he's been having multiple affairs or seeking out prostitution or whatever that is. And her world is collapsing on top of her. She is mm -hmm. feeling shattered. Um, or there's been, you know, he's seeking treatment to get better. And now they've gone through, as you discussed a moment ago, Jackie formal disclosure. And they're really at the beginning of this and feeling like what we all hear as clinicians, right? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Mm -hmm. And is that light a train that's going to smash into me? <laughs> <laughs> Right. There is so much trauma. You know, I, I'm a former partner. I'm very open about that in my work, in my public speaking, in the books that I write. I'm very open about being a partner who's gone through my own recovery. So I have that heart um, for, for partners in recovery and also addicts, mm -hmm. you know, and couples who I've walked that walk before I know what that pain feels like. And, um, you know, I bring in my, my, my clinical expertise, but also I bring in that personal part of it. So for me, I know what that traumatic wounding feels like. It really does feel like, are we ever going to get to the other side of the pain that we're in? Mm -hmm. This is so hurtful. This is so scary. Or what we sometimes hear is, I didn't do anything. Why do I, as the wife or the girlfriend or the partner, why the heck do I have to go into therapy? Right. right? Yeah. So talk a little bit about the gift in the wound, because I think at the beginning part of this journey, um, that sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, I, I was going to say with people I work with, when I bring up an idea similar to that, they look at me like, do I want to come back and talk to this guy again? <laughs> Oh my gosh, you guys, John, I completely know that expression where sometimes what I'll say to um, a client that I've started working with is, listen, I'm going to say something to you that may feel like you said, Jackie, like it's an oxymoron or I'm just really coming out of left field, but there may come a day, not today, not tomorrow, maybe not even in a year from now, but there will come a day where you will look at this opportunity uh, look at this uh, season of your life as an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you ever invited in sex addiction. I'm never going to be throwing a celebration party myself. But <laughs> yay, you know, right. I got to go through, you know, partners recovery and sex addiction. Um, or, you know, it, it, I'm sure if there's a person out there struggling with sex addiction, they're probably listening to us right now thinking, yeah, I'm probably not going to be getting really excited that this is something that I'm dealing with. So I understand the pushback around the idea of the gifts in the wound. But what I do hear over and over again, um, like you both, I'm sure, that couples, individuals, and partners circle back 
about a year and a half in, two years in, and say, you know what, Mari, I remember you saying something to me that there are going to be these little gifts that I'm going to be noticing as I go through this recovery. And here I am. I never thought I would go back to school mm-hmm. and, you know, pursue a college education. I never thought I would have the guts to stand up for myself to my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. I never thought I even, I didn't even know what a boundary was. I had no idea what that was. I never thought I could find my voice or heal trauma from my parental abuse. I thought therapy was kind of a bunch of hooey. I never thought I'd be a person that was in therapy. And yet here I am and I see how I have all of these tools and all of these gifts that that reach so far out of why I originally came to therapy, mm-hmm. which was fix him or end this pain that we're in. Now it's really supporting me in my professional work and my academic mm-hmm. work with my family. I feel like in some ways I'm I am grateful that this was the doorway that brought me into therapy because I was mm-hmm. able to do some healing and growth on my own. And that's the essence of my concept, the gift in the wound. It's The book is actually called The Gift in the Wound, Stories of Hope and Resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we come in and, and say right away out of the gate to a client, hey, listen, one day you might be really happy that you have this experience in okay. therapy. Because they are going to give us that look like you're from outer space. What are you talking mm-hmm. about, lady? But it's to help them understand that there are tools that they're going to be using and learning and practicing that they had no idea even existed, right? Mm-hmm. That they're going to have a safe, sacred sanctuary to come in and talk with a therapist, a human being who's going to hold that space for them, that care for them to help them walk through the fire of what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. But at some point during those early months of recovery and, and healing, we know we hear, is there anything that we can look forward to? Are there other couples? And what I realized in doing this work is there weren't a lot of resources out there. I know I would have really appreciated it in my early recovery just to know, can I read some stories about people Mm -hmm. that got to the other side of this, whether Mm -hmm. they stayed together or not, right? Mm -hmm. So in this book, I'm going to be, um, these are real life couples, real life examples. Some of the couples are straight, some are gay, some are um, multi-ethnic couples, some have biological children, some don't, some have adopted. I really wanted to pull in a diverse range of human beings. And some of these couples work through the pain and stayed together and moved forward. And some didn't. But if the relationship didn't work out, I'm highlighting the personal strengths and resiliencies that they found, even though the relationship or the marriage ended that there are or a great co-parenting relationship was you know able to be set up Mm -hmm. so it's not coming in through these rose-colored glasses and all the Pollyanna it's going to get better sometimes it doesn't get better sometimes it, it really doesn't and sometimes the relationship has to end not always but sometimes that is the outcome but it's how we move through that journey and so it's talking about practical tools resources and real stories all the messy stuff and also the gifts. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is, I'm, I'm really excited for that um, book to hit the shelves and, and to be able to look into that. That's a concept I find myself personally thinking a lot about mm-hmm. is what's happened in my own life and my own recovery. And the, the phrase that I'll tell myself a lot is 
what has come out of my recovery is something that I didn't even know that I should have wanted or I should have mm, asked for yeah. when I started this um, journey because it has like it keeps expanding and it keeps growing um, and I, I can definitely resonate with that at some point in your healing um, you want to know that this not only gets better but it gets bigger mm -hmm. um, and it keeps serving you not just this dark chapter in my life that I was finally able to close but it keeps meaning something Oh my gosh, I love that so much, John. And that is really just so important. Um, just what you said. I'm so glad. I, I almost said, I, I wish we were recording this. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> just feels like we're having a conversation. That's so great because so many people are going to resonate with what you just said there. I love that. That just makes me so happy. I have chills. And I think about my own my own story, of course, we can't talk about clients. I think about so many of my brave and courageous clients and their stories and the gifts and the wound that they discovered. I just got a beautiful Christmas card from a couple uh, that I worked with, gosh, I want to say 12 years ago now. Mm. And um, talking about how they just celebrated a particularly special anniversary and talking literally about all the gifts. And they listed mm. out the mm. gifts and I thought, you know, I'm tucking this away. All these kinds of cards and communications are so special. But this one in particular felt like it was such a nice, you know, as, as a writer, you know, we wonder if I'm working so hard on this book, I hope it's going to be supportive for people. And it just felt like a nice little, a little gift to, and reminder that, you know, people do, do discover these gifts along the mm -hmm. way, Mari. And I think about my own journey, you know, like you were talking about, John, when I discovered, you know, my significant other was really profoundly addicted to pornography. And, and I realized with some of your listeners, the, the pain points that they are experiencing in their relationship go far beyond pornography, not to minimize my own pain points or any woman or man who is involved in a relationship where your significant other is profoundly and deceptively using pornography and it's hurting. It's not part of the agreement of the relationship, right? We're not here to, I hope I can speak plainly. So forgive me. I don't mean to yep. anybody, but mm -hmm. we're not here to be the penis or the pussy police, right? Yeah, we're yeah. here to help people, you know, and not to be the moral police on people's sexuality or judge how people do sexuality. But if it, this is not an agreement, not of mm -hmm. not part of what the couple has agreed to around pornography and it is a hurtful, piece that's not to minimize but I also know that people are listening partners in particular who have experienced grave wounds around their significant other acting out with prostitutes or having multiple affairs or 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 you know mm -hmm. far beyond that and that's that's really difficult so in my own story you know my significant other was addicted to porn I found this out um, during I didn't really have I didn't have any sort of relationship with pornography. I didn't have too many, too many thoughts one way or the other about it. It just never really been a part of my life. I don't consider myself to be a prude. I, I don't know that I'm maybe the most sexually experimental person on the face of the earth, but I am evolved, you know, modern woman mm -hmm. that I just was really surprised at the depth of hurt and betrayal that I felt. And at the time, I mean, this is almost 20 years ago, Jackie, there weren't, we know there weren't a lot, right. there was just not mm -hmm. a lot out there mm -hmm. in terms of resources for, especially for women and, and female partners. Mm -hmm. So 
At any rate, I was just in the midst of selecting a thesis topic, what I wanted to write my thesis on. I was in graduate school, you know, getting ready to start my clinical internship, and I really didn't know what that might be. I thought, because I, I was a former foster care kid, that I might want to do it on foster care children who have gone on to create good lives for themselves and or maybe on the topic of resiliency which is near and dear to my heart but because this landed like a lightning bolt in my life and I was so hurt and felt so betrayed and so much trauma around this because of the deception and the gaslighting that is a process of pornography and sex addiction mm -hmm. that I wrote my thesis on the impact of pornography which at the time it was I think my thesis title was something like um what was it? It was like uh, internet pornography and emerging addiction in heterosexual males and the impact on the female significant other oh, yeah. or something. So you can see this was a while ago. Yeah. But all of that to say, you know, as I went through that process of, of healing and recovery and moving through into a much better, I mean, a really great place and a really good relationship that I'm in now, there were so many gifts in the wound. At the time, I couldn't see that, but I don't think I would even be doing this specialization. I don't think I would have ever written the books that I've written mm. or worked with the people that I've worked with or even had the opportunity and privilege to be here with you both had I not gone through some of this. So to me, I look at my work as more than just work or a job or you know counseling. I really look at it as a calling, mm -hmm. and part of that has been this pain point it doesn't define me. I'm not just a partner of a sex addict or porn addict, but it's, it's been something that I'm, I'm happy that I went through now. It's, mm -hmm. it took me a while to get there, but I, mm -hmm. I really see the value of all the tools I learned in my own therapy. Yeah. I was meeting with a client earlier this week and she's getting to that place. I think of recognizing maybe some of the gifts in the wound for her um, through this and even though her story isn't having the outcome when we started working together that she would have hoped for. Um, and we were talking about just kind of where she's at and what, what she's feeling and she's starting to feel some empowerment. And we, I said to her, <clears throat> you know, I think that wrestling is always good for the soul, even when maybe the details or the specifics of what we're wrestling with are very painful or not our choosing or pretty ugly. Wrestling itself is good for the soul and we find something in that wrestle. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that so much, Jackie. It reminds me of a saying, I think it was by Oprah Winfrey, um, where there is no struggle, there is no strength. Mm. So I think I, I, I agree with that. And it's hard though, while we're in the struggle, boy, we can have a lot of competing emotions. And I think mm -hmm. it's really important to, if there's a listener hearing what we're talking about right now, it's okay for you to feel both angry and hopeful, mm -hmm. for you to feel both that sense of betrayal and outrage and in love with your mate. It is confusing mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. start. It is hard to find those gifts in their wound. And it really is important, I think, for uh, those of us who've gone through this to be able to share those struggles and, and to demonstrate that even if the relationship doesn't last, the most important relationship you're ever going to be in, besides the one with your higher power, if you have a higher power, is the relationship that you have with yourself. 
Right. Mm-hmm. So through therapy and through this healing journey, you are going to be able to show up in that relationship for yourself in ways that you never, ever believed that mm-hmm. you could. I was the queen of codependency. And I know that's a dirty word in our, you know, um, mm-hmm. therapy world. And I didn't like having those elements being described or noticing those elements in me when I first started off as a partner. But I, but I did have codependent um, traits that I struggled with. And Mm -hmm. I think I wore like the high crown of codependency on my head, (laughs) like a sparkly Glendon, the good witch crown, you know, (laughs) and I just didn't see it. And it wasn't until I got in and I really started to learn about myself, learn about family of origin wounds, you know, understand that I have nothing to do with my partners. It's not because of me that he's struggling with this addiction. You know, addiction comes out of trauma. He's dealing with his own trauma, his own pain. Mm -hmm. He's trying to soothe. Some people soothe with alcohol and they drink their pain. Some people eat their pain through food addiction. Some people, you know, shoot their pain up through drugs and other people sexualize their pain. Mm -hmm. Or they do all of them. Or they do all of the above. (laughs) Exactly, Jackie. But I had to really, you know, realize that I had my own stuff in quotes to work on. Mm -hmm. And once I could pull my attention over to me, move that hypervigilance onto the most important relationship, the relationship with myself, whether the relationship with my significant other moved forward or it didn't, I knew I was going to be okay. But it sure would have been nice to hear other stories at the time. Yeah. Mm of other people right mm-hmm. yeah and as, as we're talking about this i i think of i, I keep thinking back to my storyline and i um as, as you're talking about this gift in the wound um the the first place my mind went was okay what are the dominoes that we need to line up so that we can get there and then i reminded myself like i've never gotten anywhere in my own story <laughs> like i feel like i have these moments of insight and these moments of surrender um and I, I believe that over time, those moments start happening with greater frequency mm-hmm. and, and more intensity, and they, they, la- they last a little bit longer. Um, but I, I think it's important to note here that this place of seeing the gift in the wound isn't necessarily somewhere that we arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know personally for me, there's, there's parts of my story and parts of my therapeutic work that I've done, and then life keeps happening and gets mm-hmm. messy, and it feels like some of that gets undone. And I'm back to like, well... I don't want this and I don't want to look at it and I wish this wasn't part of my life. Um, And then usually that works back around to this insight where it it seems like every time that cycle happens, um, there's a a deeper gift that I'm Mm -hmm. becoming acquainted with or a a deeper part of myself that's, that's healing. But um, unless, and I'd be curious to see here, Mari, what you see in that process, if it's, clean or messy or jumbled or what have you seen in that? Yeah, I just think that is, again, really profound, you know, when we think about the, the struggle, right, that human, that existential human condition of struggling, you know, sometimes what I call, what I call that, Jonathan, especially when I'm working with um, um, the really great courageous human beings struggling with sex and porn addiction is I talk about it as shadow boxing. Like it's mm-hmm. like your, your best part of you is in this shadow boxing match with this part of you that has been hurt, that has been traumatized and that is grasping for ways of soothing that trauma or what I call filling the hole in the soul, that mm-hmm. feeling of not being connected, not being known, being isolated, feeling less than not knowing 
what the heck am I doing? You know, and so many of the guys that I really am honored to work with talk about that hole in the soul. You know, I, like many of us, you know, I, um, have men's groups and men's workshops and and I really love working with men dealing with sex addiction because it's not about sex addiction right that's that's the fruit there are so many Mm -hmm. roots of the fruit and when we can uncover that and take a look at really what's feeding those behaviors whether it's deception or um, you know anxiety or what what's going on we need to unpack some of that and take a look at it and I think as we do that initial unpacking to your specific point around the messiness of that it does get messy sometimes it's a seven steps forward three steps backwards mm-hmm. you know then five more steps forward and then oh shoot six steps backwards mm-hmm. but at the end of the first year of recovery if we can have three or four solid gains where you know what I'm in therapy and I'm starting to see the value in it. Mm-hmm. I'm able to show up in more truth and honesty with my significant other. I'm able to do things like make my bed, mm-hmm. you know, clean out my car, just show up in the basic one-on-one ways. I I sometimes I mean I'm a, a bit unconventional. I think at my center in some ways, um, where. So, for example, if I'm working just just recently, I would say I've seen maybe in the last five to seven years more college age men self-reporting into therapy, especially around pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy to see that because it's not something that I've noticed previously in my clinical work. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about um, some of these young men where it's almost like they can't even show up in relationship with themselves. So I'll say things like, all right, tell me, you know, like, do you make your bed every day? No. When was the last time you washed your sheets? Oh my God, why are you asking me that? (laughs) What your level of self-care is. And then if I'm starting to see that shame response, I'll say, all right, we're going to do something a little unconventional here. We are going to um, go out and take a look at your car. And the response Uh. is uh, is often, uh, why do we have to do that? And I'll say, get a trash bag let's go out how did you know I needed a trash bag and there we go (laughs) out to the car and ankle ankle deep in fast food bags maybe like an overflowing trash can or you know maybe uh you know cigarette butts or whatever it is you know old water bottles it's dirty it looks Uh like you can draw your name in the dirt and I'll say all right this is where we're going to do our session today Mm -hmm. and we'll just start talking and we begin to actively move forward on some of these shame points where this person is thinking I had one client say to me you know what I have to tell you something I felt like such a piece of shit and I feel so much like less of a piece of shit just because my car is clean you didn't judge Mm me we threw that stuff in the recycle bin which I thought was cool and you and part of his homework after that session was I just happened, my, my center happens to be about two blocks down from a car wash. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so your homework now is to go to the car wash, get your car washed, send me a picture of it. And I want to see a smile on your face. Don't send me a picture with the middle finger. <laughs> I want to see a smile. And he was like, he had this grimace. I don't know if I'd call it a smile. It was more like a grimace. But sometimes we have to start with that basic one-on-one mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is messy. We're messy. Mm-hmm. We're complex as human beings, right? Right. Well, and I think just following your example there, I think 
with our clients so often, one of the gifts they experience, I hope with therapy, is a therapist who's willing to step into the mess with them, mm -hmm. right? And not be like, are you kidding me? But more of a like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm in here with you. What are we going to do? Right? Where mm -hmm. do you want to go with this? I, I'm, I'm here in the mess with you. I'm going to talk to you about it for sure, but I'm not going to shame you over it. No. No, I'm not going to shame you over that. And that's just so beautifully stated, Jackie. Exactly. We're just going to stand in the mess. And that when I, I do a lot of supervision, as you, I think you both know, mm -hmm. with other therapists beyond my coaching, but do I do supervision. And what I, I share over and over again is, yes, there are cognitive tools you're going to be learning. There's a task model you're going to be mm -hmm. learning. And all of those are the safe container. That's the roadmap for that person. I, I say that this person has been on a ship and they keep running it into the coral reef. Mm -hmm. And so they need those tasks and tools because they don't trust themselves not to ram their ship you know, into the mm -hmm. coral reef anymore. So you're going to be manning that ship. You're going to be the captain for a while and they're going to be the first mate and you're going to get them into safer water. And that's what the tools and the tasks do. They help that person. And then pretty, pretty soon you're going to be saying, okay, now put your hands on the steering wheel too. We're going to be steering together. Now I'm going to step over and observe you. Mm -hmm. But we have to be willing to get in there with the tasks and the tools. But we also, the most important instrument we have is our humanity as mm -hmm. clinicians in the room with that hurting human being, whether it's the addict who feels shame, who feels um, anger, rage, whatever that is, or it's the partner who feels, you know, and rightly so, traumatized, betrayed, and angry and confused. Mm -hmm. And so we know that not only, we know that trauma is at the heart of mm -hmm. any type of addiction, and we know that it's trauma that, that the addict that is leading the addict into soothing behaviors and that unfortunately that trauma then traumatizes a significant other right so trauma mm -hmm. is present in both it's sadly symbiotic in the relationship of a partner and, a, and an addict mm -hmm. that there is trauma present in both of these people it's like a hot potato that's getting passed back and forth mm -hmm. and the beauty about therapy is coming in breaking up those patterns helping those individuals find their path find their footing so that they can move forward and begin to discover sooner than later those gifts in the wound right yeah. i and I, I keep, as, as we're listening, I'm having a hard time like getting into my podcast host clinical brain because this is so much my story that I'm mm -hmm. hearing you talk about, um, Mari. And as you're talking about that trauma hot potato, um, I remember times having those realizations like, I don't have to keep throwing this back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, like as you're talking about the car um, and I, I think about like places that I've lived and like levels of cleanliness and orderliness and like there before getting into recovery and, and really working on things, there wasn't even a concept in my mind that I could live that way, mm -hmm. that I could deserve to live that way. Um, and as, as I heard you talking about that, I think that's a gift that I think started coming on pretty early on that keeps giving to me and it keeps developing. Um, and I, I think for about the last three or four years, I've been shocked that every year, um, like my life has not peaked yet. And mm -hmm. I used to have this concept in my mind, like, you know, there would be, there'd be the good old days, you know, the glory days that I'd always look back on. And um, that was going to happen somewhere in my mid twenties. And thankfully <laughs> it hasn't. 
Um, (laughs) Like it just keeps, it just keeps expanding and and I am finding deeper ways of caring for myself. Um, But I I wouldn't have come to that track had I not had to um, look at the trauma and the abuse and the addiction issues. Um, I don't think there was any other door that I would have taken Mm. into that level of knowing and caring for myself. I just really so appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much, Don. And it's interesting that you use that metaphor of that mountain peak, right? And I will simply say, I, I think I might be a little older than you guys. I'm 55. And I so understand that I've said that so many times where I, I think I was maybe, maybe I was 25 or third. No, I think I was like 25. Yes, I was 25. Because my boss at the time said, now yeah, you're a quarter of a century years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, you know what, that doesn't, make me feel bad like I'm getting older I think I've I've lived a rich life and I've Mm -hmm. also you know clearly as a foster kid gone through trauma and I've created a life for myself I think I have it all figured out I think I'm done I've Mm -hmm. reached the top of the mountain I've got it at 25 right (laughs) why my my 35 year old was throwing her head back laughing like oh young lady right just wait and now now you know then I think I would turn 40 and was like yeah I, I feel it I'm good Mm-hmm. I think uh-huh. I learned what I need to learn. And my 55-year-old self was saying, oh, Mari, just you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so now, now I really get that, Jonathan, because now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, at 55, my 70-year-old was saying, oh, my dear, you've got right. a lot more life lessons to learn yeah. and gifts in the moon to find. But what I will say also is um, around that, Jonathan, I think there's a word, what you said is so poignant to me because it really is feeling like, it goes back to my client talking about feeling like a piece of shit, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really finding that space inside. Like not only, not only do I, am I starting to value myself and believe that I really do deserve to have, you know, a tidy home or that I really am starting to move into trust that I could pay my bills on time, mm-hmm. you know, because I hear a lot of addicts saying I don't pay my bills on time, and especially if they're dealing with comorbid disorders. Uh, and so what I mean by that is if there's ADHD present or if there is an anxiety disorder present or a clinical depressive disorder, whatever that looks like, or if they were traumatized by an internal scripting, meaning that people wrote an internal script and force fed that mm-hmm. to that child saying, you're lazy, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. And, and that was part of my story, that kind of verbal abuse. You know, we take on those internal scripts and we begin to doubt our our capability, right, of actually being able to create a life that's organized, um, work that we love to do, a relationship that's honest and um, authentic, where our insights and outsides can match. It's and we don't have to be my my go-to my addiction was perfectionism being codependent and being controlling and so now what i understand as you know going through that that trauma work and certainly the gifts in the wound that i found was oh i'm controlling and perfectionistic because i'm afraid because i was because i'm trying to outrun the some disaster Mm -hmm. that i'm worried is going to happen to me and so with partners when they are for example if you're if there's a partner listening to this right now and she or he is been snooping through the emails or snooping through this the the cell phone or social media and there's some shame around that remember that 
quote unquote snooping is a safety seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. We're always looking as partners for ways of feeling safe. Can I trust this person? So it could be interrogation or using anger to control or trying to overcompensate and do all the heavy lifting in the relationship. So the addict isn't stressed out and relapses. There's so many things that partners do that come out of trauma and trauma, by the way, that pre-existed the relationship. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of behaviors, I really try and help partners, not just addicts step out of the shame and create a life they're proud of, but also partners step out of the shame of, you know, what am I, the shrew or I'm, I'm a snoop? No, you're seeking safety. Mm -hmm. And can we find other ways that you can feel better and put the focus on you? So that's kind of a long response to what you shared, um, John, but what you shared really struck me and I, and I felt very grateful that you, you did bring that up. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm wondering because I have, so I have a couple people in my head who I know that were they listen, were they to listen to this episode and get to this point, they'd be furious at this conversation mm. like that. This has not been my story. This is not going to be my story. And I wonder, Mari, in your, experience and your wisdom like what what do you have to say to people at this point who are listening to this and saying that's good for you but it'll it's not going to happen for me or it hasn't happened for me yet right so what i'm so just to clarify john you're you're asking me um to speak to those listeners who are saying yeah that sounds great that mari and jackie and john and maybe others who have gone through recovery have found you know joy or found gifts or found meaning in the pain really because that's what we're describing mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. finding meaning in in that pain but you know what screw you guys i'm not there yeah. and um and i'm pissed what you're mm -hmm. talking about it really is activating me i feel a lot of rage coming up what i would say to that human being listening right now is that's okay you get to feel what you feel mm -hmm. about that you just do. It's not really your job to have to hold that space 100%. You've been likely holding an awful lot on your shoulders. So right now I'm speaking directly to that person. You've probably mm -hmm. been holding an awful lot on your shoulders. You've probably been very traumatized, lied to, gaslit, hurt. You have every right to feel angry. Uh, you have every right to feel like you're pushing back against this idea that maybe at some point you could experience joy again or trust again or create a life that you could really feel happy and secure in. I get it. I know what that feels like because I stood in those same shoes. I actually stopped seeing a therapist and I kind of regretted and ended up, you know, many years ago sending an email and apologizing, but I stomped out of her office because she was really trying to share with me. I think prematurely I don't think I was ready for that mm -hmm. but she really did have my best interest and she was trying to help me see the light up the other side you know of the darkness that I was standing in and I was angry and I needed to be angry at somebody mm -hmm. and I was angry at her and directed that at her I was hurting and I didn't understand that rage was the um rage was my 
that was it was, that was my safe emotion to lead with mm-hmm. if i was enraged if i was angry and i stood in that anger at least i felt like i was in control and powerful because the anger there's nothing wrong with anger anger is an emotion that lets us know that somebody's crossing our boundaries something's going on i need to take a look at this it's how we express the anger mm-hmm. do we do it in a way that's healthy do we do it in a way that is aggressive or do we do it in a way that is affirming and appropriate and i was just scared underneath mm-hmm. the anger anger felt really powerful for me mm-hmm. if i was angry then nobody could hurt me mm-hmm. and if i was angry then then i could cast some fear into my significant other and he'd be less likely which we know mm-hmm. isn't true to do those things really all it is is shaming that person mm-hmm. but anger was my protection device for a long time and i wasn't willing to give it up for a while and so i would say to that listener that it's okay if you're feeling like you need that shell if you're feeling like you you have that anger and you can't attach or relate to what we're saying then it's just not your time this information isn't supposed to meet you right now mm-hmm. and and that's all right we're not here to convince you of that yeah. and we shouldn't do that but you get to have your process and you get to have your anger but what i would do is encourage you if you're not in therapy seek out a therapist somebody who will really understand and make space for your anger and not be afraid of it and not feel controlled by it but can stand in the messiness like jackie was sharing earlier with you and help you understand that likely underneath that anger you're feeling a lot of vulnerability and a lot of sadness and a lot of fear because i know that's what i felt so that's that would be my response Mm -hmm. thank you very well very well put yeah thank you Yeah, well, thank you so much, Mary, for for Mari, for being here today and talking with us about this. Um, I really appreciate it. And we may be calling on you again to bring you back and share some more of your wisdom and insight. It's not a maybe, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I do. um, It's so fun. I, I, I'm, I get to have the opportunity to talk with lots of folks all over the world and in podcasts and on media and all sorts of fun venues. And Mm -hmm. I have to tell you both, this is in recent memory, this is one of my most favorite conversations I've had Mm -hmm. uh, on a podcast in a really long time. I love the format. It feels like a conversation. It feels easy. Um, I so respect the work that you both are doing. You bring so much integrity and wisdom and experience. And so it's really been fun to be with you. And more Mm -hmm. than that, I hope our conversation, our collective experience and wisdom, both as the person who who has gone through their own journey and of course our our clinical wisdom is really just offering that balm to somebody Mm -hmm. right now that that woman or that man that's just feeling like they're standing in shame or hurt or pain um i really hope it just offers you know a bridge to get into the work you know you can do this all of us Mm -hmm. have and and we're fallible human beings you know yes we are therapists but we're human beings first right and if there are therapists listening to this right now and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed um, in the work, um, you know, I will always encourage a therapist to go get the training that they need to get because this is complex, challenging, mm-hmm. multidimensional work with many, many moving parts. So we want to always honor our integrity and our legal and ethical responsibilities in supporting clients moving through sex and love and porn addiction mm-hmm. and also partners going through that. So get supervision, get the certification, do what you need to do. And one last little 
bit about that. If you are a therapist who needs consulting, if you're a therapist who is already um, certified and working with this population and you would like to start a private practice like John and Jackie and I have, I work with therapists mm -hmm. all over the world. I, I think I, it's okay for me to say I have a very nice reputation mm -hmm. as a supportive coach who is really focused in helping you build that practice. So yes. that's my little pitch of support, guys. So thank you again for being here. And I just, I loved connecting with you both yeah. so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.